You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Loyalty's my favorite characteristic of God, but finding it in it is hard. It's like trying to find God. You're the only one in your camp with cheese. You pay for everything they eat. Man, that insecurity is deep. Now I ain't said no names. These are just theories if you hear me, baby. It's home. You must admit it's kind of eerie, baby. Like them chemtrails in the sky. Well, well, grand rising, everybody. I want to welcome y'all to a magnificent Monday today. I'm so excited because I have a legend in the building. Bob Ron Chisholm is here. We are going to be diving into his legacy, his life's work. Uh, so many great things that he's been doing. He's been a major founder and part of the country and beyond experiencing undoing institutionalized racism training. And I'm so excited that he is here. And so I get to, in, you know, have this whole episode dedicated to his legacy and his work. But of course, it is the top of the show, y'all. So it's a great time for you to tag and share the stream. Please tag and share the stream with folks you feel could benefit from a daily dose of dopeness right here on The Day with Trey. Don't worry. If you can't watch us, we got you covered. You can listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Just search Converge Media Network and The Day with Trey. Y'all will find me there on Google, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, you name it. Uh, You guys just search us. You guys will find us on your favorite platform. And also, thanks to everybody who's listening and thanks to everybody who's sharing and watching. We so appreciate you guys spreading the good work that we're doing here on The Day with Trey and Converge Media Network right here in the Black Media Matters studios. Well, no further ado, because I'm so excited to have this discussion. He travels all over the country giving trainings to folks in terms of undoing institutionalized racism. He is one of the co-founders and visionary for People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. You guys, let's welcome Baba Ron Chisholm. Hi. How you doing? Hi, I'm so great. It's so great to have you with me today. It's good to be here. I'm excited too. You know, and, and by the way, congratulations and a great acknowledgement to your, your organization got deservingly, you know, and uh, not only should the local area know about it, but people around the country ought to know about it. So uh, I'm excited to to be in the presence of you all, knowing the kind of work and being in the studio right now, you know, and uh, it's, good, it's a good feeling. So I'm glad to be here. Oh, we're so glad that you took time out of your busy schedule. I know you're in and out this time, so we had to make it happen. But, you know, for me, I was able to really experience you and your legacy, the work that you do in a training myself, undoing institutionalized racism. Let's go to the beginning. Tell us a bit about you before you even started that organization, before you said this is the work we have to do. Tell us a bit about you uh, growing up that kind of got you to say, this is what I need to do. This is how I I need to give to my people? Well, you know, I'm born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. I've been in New Orleans all of my life, at least 81 years, give or take a year. It could be, could be longer, but I know I've been there for 81 years. And uh, if you've been in New Orleans, you know, I work in an area in New Orleans, one of the oldest black neighborhoods in the United States. It's called Treme, T-R-E-M-E. And it's right adjacent to the French quarters. Everybody knows the French quarters, but they don't know the Treme community as well. And but everybody should know that some of the greatest musicians in the world, like Louis Armstrong and Whit Marcellus family, and so many great musicians come out of this particular community. Well, I do a lot of my community work there. But as I said, I was born and raised in New Orleans, and I've traveled around Louisiana, and uh, my family's from there. And, you know, as I was going through school and 
you know, and, and I got, you know, I never did go to college, but I went to high school and I saw a lot of things that didn't seem right for us, discrimination. And I didn't understand it all, but I saw a lot of things going on. But I guess like most young people, you know, you go, you go to school, you get a job. And then I got a job working uh, at a medical school called LSU Medical School. Uh, I was doing custodial work and worked my way up through civil service to become as a medical research technician. Again, didn't have the academic background, but had a lot of experience. And I saw so much discrimination and stuff going on, but I just kept moving to the point, I guess was getting disgusted with it. And then eventually I left this job and went to start to do community work in that particular trade-made community. And that particular trade-made community, as I say, it's a great cultural roots there. And there was a recently an HBO series where they talk about the culture of New Orleans and uh, and uh, Katrina. And I was fortunate to be in one of those HBO series where, you know, and Wendell Pierce was a great known actor. He lives in New Orleans and he played a big role in making that HBO series happen. It went on for several, several years. And I learned so much from that. I learned a lot about New Orleans, even though I lived there, you learn a lot about it. Then again, and uh, when Katrina hit, I lost everything in Katrina. I lost my mother in Katrina. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of the the reaction she got from losing everything, I went to Houston for three years. And after that, I didn't want to come home, but but I love New Orleans. But eventually, I decided to come back home. My wife wanted to come back to New Orleans. And, you know, but I, like I lost so much there. But I began to adjust, but I'm still having mental challenges from it. Uh, and I saw the, the blatant discrimination and many times right now, when I when I see people, they say, oh, you haven't, Katrina give you mental challenges. I say, yeah, it wasn't Katrina. It was a racism before Katrina. Mm. So Katrina just added on to my mental stress. But as I began to to, uh, to learn and, and live and work, I decided I wanted to do something much different. And I started a community-based organization in this particular community called Tremie. And I worked with another young man who was who's, uh, transitioned uh, Jim Hayes, and him and I started something called a, the Treme Community Improvement Association. And that's why I got a lot of my learning from. I learned how to to organize. I didn't really understand organizing, but I, I would get people together to try to make a difference to deal with some of the injustice. And as I began to do that work, uh, I still never started no institute. I didn't know anything about training about it. I just thought you got to have love in your heart to make a difference. But then I realized you can have love, but you got to also know how to do your job. Love is not enough to be effective in real social change work. So I began to work primarily with all black community, organizing this community to do with the injustice. And I used to take maybe 30 or 40 brothers and sisters downtown. We'd go fight the government and fight city council and, and the mayors. And we'd win some victories and we'd lose some. What I know from the big, what I really learned that over the years, every time we go fight someone, within the black community, or for the black community, we wound up fighting each other. Mm. And I didn't understand it. And I went on for several years. So what I realized, well, maybe I need some more, I need to get some learning. Maybe, since I'm doing the organizing, and we really didn't understand organizing, but, but I knew I was doing something to make a difference. I went and got training by a man named Saul Alinsky. And Saul Alinsky is like the grandfather of the community organizing. And what he taught me, I went to Chicago, spent two weeks, place called Midwest Academy. And he taught me how to be an effective organizer. 
and it gave me great skills and tools. And I went back to, it showed me how to deal with group dynamics, tactical research, uh, and it helped me very much. But as I went to apply these great skills with the organization I had been working on, working with, that I realized skills are important in dealing with social change. But if you give somebody some skills and they have not dealt with their racism, they can become a skillful racist. Mm. And then that got me concerned. So I, I realized skills alone is not going to make the kinds of equitable change and not going to help me deal with that internal problem that goes on within our communities. I still don't understand it. That's, that's, that's when I finally met a brother named Dr. Jim down another gym. Him and I met in New York City trying to get some money for our local organizations. And then Jim Dunn and I in 1979 went to an international conference, but it really was in, in Philadelphia where black leaders from around the world came together. And we went, we took a train ride from New York to Philly to this gathering. And on, and on that train ride in the late 70s, we decided to start our organization called the People's Institute for Survival. I'm giving you a long history because it's important yeah. how we got started. And so we started this organization and, and we met and we developed a curriculum. But as we were developing this curriculum, we, we, the name hit me. I said, why are we calling it the People's Institute for Survival? Because when I meet a brother or sister in the street and I say, what's going on, my brother? I said, man, I'm trying to survive. Mm. I realized that name has to change because I didn't want to develop a name of an institution of an organization where it talks about survival and people already talking about just surviving. I need to get people to have a name that's going to think much deeper than surviving. So we then we change it from the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. So if they're going to internalize something, it'll be beyond peace. Mm -hmm. So that's when we started in 1980 called the People's Institute. And the reason for that, normally I wouldn't have started no, along with Dr. Jim Nunn, no training institute, but I realized in my community, we need to, we didn't understand racism. And I thought as a black man, I, would, I know all about racism. I knew discrimination. I knew bigotry. I knew police killings. But I did not have a systemic analysis. And you're not going to deal with systemic racism unless you can define a system, unless you can define racism. And even in the black community, as much as we talk about racism, we do not have a clear definition of it. Yeah. And that's what made us start the People's Institute. What a powerful beginning, uh, honestly. And, and I think for so many people who actually go through undoing institutionalized racism training that you all offer, that right there is one of the biggest takeaways is understanding what racism is. You know, as you're in this group and in this room of folks that are of like mind and, you know, similar experiences, we're all coming together to understand it more in a deeper way. So I appreciate that you say that because oftentimes because we experience something, we think we know that's all correct. the facets of that's it, correct. right? That's correct. But that's not the case. And so you guys developed this training, oh my goodness, in the 80s. And you really have been taking it all over the world. Tell us a bit about how the growth of the training has really been embedded now in so many communities across America. Because the training is really about how to strengthen your community, how to strengthen all communities, but primarily the black community. That's the main reason I did, because when I started the training, if you remember, as I said, gave you the history. That's why history is so important that every time I would try to organize in the, in the black community, we'd have these internal fightings. See, the key about racism, which I didn't understand at the time, 
which I thought I knew. I, I was talking about my experiences. Mm -hmm. And my experience is not the same as a definition. Mm -hmm. And we do this, we do this in South Africa, we do it in Soweto, Johannesburg, we do it in Puerto Rico, we do it in Harlem, we do some of the largest black uh, congregations. And you ask people to define racism, they'll tell you their experiences. And the experiences are real. But but that's not that's not gonna deal with systemic racism. And systems want us to be confused. That's why the data shows right now in the black community, we're still at the bottom, white folks sit at the top, and every group goes up and down the ladder, wherever they can fit in. That, that goes on. But the key for me is that racism creates, not only creates injustice, that's why we respond to in all of our groups. We try to deal with the injustice. There's a lot of injustice in the media. Mm -hmm. You know, so I got to have a black media, yeah. <laughs> you know, because, you know, the media been racist all the time and they put some black folks on these anchors as tokenism. But you need somebody grounded like your group that's grounded, that you're doing all the work. You know, you, you know, you're editor the work you're doing. You're doing professional work, but you're doing it at a humanistic level. Mm -hmm. You know, you're doing anti-racist work. Wow. I don't, I don't know if you say that, you know, we're just doing black work. No, you're mm -hmm. doing anti-racist work. You do it. You're going you, you're dealing with. You're going against system that wants you to be the, the, the token, but you all refuse to do that. So to me, you're doing undoing racism because you got to undo before you do anti. And I, I believe just the, the bit that I know about you all, and I already, I've been already seen some of your work, and not only you can see the work, you can feel the work. Mm. You can feel humanity. Racism dehumanizes. Undoing racism brings humanity back. People, people hear undoing racism, hear anti-racist work, this is just as something. Racism takes away your humanity. So you do anti-racist to bring humanity back into your work. And now we've been making the people have been through this training. But the primary reason is that we want this, the people to, to become effective anti-racist organizers. And I don't know if y'all see yourselves in, in, in this work, but y'all are organizers. You organize in the media. You know, you, you know you're developing leadership. You know, you're bringing humanity to the work. To me, that's what organized, that's what anti-racist organi uh, organizing is about. And what's, what I feel good about in the growth is that I realize it ain't about me. And what I like right now, I've been with it for, from the, one of the co-founders. And there's something, if I transition, we've developed an approach where we don't have a dependency model. Mm -hmm. We have an interdependency model. Because a lot of organizations, when the leadership die, everything else die. Mm -hmm. When they little funny grant that we always get, that we jump to, we we we, we like puppets trying to get them grants. Mm -hmm. When when that goes and you lose your infrastructure, everything collapse. That's a dependency model. That ain't a healthy model. So we saying if something happens to any one of us, or something happens within the black media, that y'all have developed it in a way that it will continue because it ain't dependent on one individual. That's what I wanted to see happen. And right now, I know that will happen. I'm excited about it. And it's not just about me. You know, it's about the local work going on. You know, we develop a network that's working. You know, it's got, you know, they got some holes in it every day in your net. But the more you do good organizing, you can tighten those and that net up to be a really solid net to get our people. So I'm, I'm encouraging. I see people growing. And, I, when I'm, and to me, it's about organizing. Mm -hmm. The only reason I do undoing racism, because... I don't care what movement it is for change, whether it's the women's movement, the populist movement, the civil rights movement, the labor movement, any movement, racism has gotten away. 
So if you got a movement, even in, in the media, racism got to be addressed because it will take you somewhere you don't want to go. That's why we that's why we deal with it. We don't deal with it just because it's something to deal with. Because right now, there are people that have taken our stuff and and have exploited it. Uh, we you know it took us forty some years and and uh, but you but you can't do what we do with it because mm-hmm. the ground is grounded with people, and that's the most significant. But it ain't it ain't no one or two leaders. Yeah, you know it's 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 about a network of people. And when you can see the results of your work in different cities, and even in this city, you know, we've, we've done more work in, 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 in Seattle than we're in the country. Wow. Matter of fact, you know, I mean, we, we, I walk in Seattle, being from North, I walk sometimes, people wave at me like I live here. <laughs> and, that, and to me, that's an honor to, to feel really good about that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say is that there's such deep roots here uh, for Seattle in the work of undoing institutionalized racism and the People's Institute. I know ambassadors of your work that are brilliant in community. I'm getting a little emotional because this work is so serious and you've dedicated so much of your brilliance to it. I cannot thank you enough because it is so necessary. When we think about some of the signs that people had in the 50s during the civil rights era in terms of picketing, and we can still say those truths exist to this day, we could have the same signs up. We had stop police brutality back then. We're saying the same thing now, right? I was organizing um, in the wake of George Floyd. I've been organizing for some time, even before that. But that Seattle really showed up and we stayed in the streets for months, you know, the longest out of any other city in America. And I realized that we had so much... um, energy put toward really what can we do to make change? And one of the things that I, I, somebody just said it, it's like that movement happened and oh, that was back then, you know, yeah, money flooded into black led organizations and organizing, you know, there was a lot of white guilt, a lot of people saying, you know, we should, we should do better. There was a lot of folks who also were awakened by the, uh, the murder of George Floyd. They're like, okay, well, this is, maybe it's been happening all these years and all around me, but as a non-black person, I didn't understand it. So I, I had a lot of those kind of conversations with non-black people where it was an awakening moment. I mean, what do we do now in terms of carrying it forward from your perspective? Because it does seem like some of that energy has faltered a bit, and yet we're still dealing with very same conditions that we were talking about eradicating then. And it's something that you guys have really been doing this entire time through all the trainings. I mean, tell people what they do. I would just say, um, as an organizer, I got to bring hope. Mm -hmm. I can't do organizing and and hopeless. Yeah. I got to bring hope to people. And as one said, don't do racism for everybody, not just for black folks, for white, Latino, Asian people all over the world come to our training. But we tell white people, it's important that you understand as a white person, for you to be effective and understand what equity means, you gotta do some work within your own white community because they're not saving their white children. Mm-hmm. People like the Proud Boys are educating them. And I, and I travel around, around this, this, this country and no, there's nobody working with young white kids to understand racism. And I tell you, a lot of young white activists who come to our workshop who have told me, and they come to the Under Reason Train, I say, well, you know, we want you to get your family involved. Well, I, my mom and daddy are racist, so I, I, I left home. 
And we said, well, how you, how you left your, your mom and daddy? Because they're racist. I said, well, anytime you throw any human being away, then you don't know what it means to be a human being. Mm-hmm. How can you throw another human being away? I said, and the reason why you ran away from your mom and daddy, not only because they were racist, but your mom and daddy was a better organizer than you. And they have to look at that and say, but you have a responsibility to educate your family because you can't work in communities of color and not work because the way you get, remember, as a white person, you you get a privilege, but part of getting that privilege, you've been racialized, you've been dehumanized. So you don't realize you've been dehumanized and you come around and we have to be, and as black folks, we have to be very careful when we, when, when we work with white people and we should work with everybody. But but because white people don't get life from their privilege, they get stuff from their privilege. But if you're not careful, they'll get life from you as a black person. You will know they're taking your life from you because we think we can handle white people. But they got they still got more power because they got a different relationship with those white systems. So we're saying we got to work with everybody. But if white people get in touch with their humanity, so I want to make that real clear. We work with everybody. Mm-hmm. But, but, but white people got to be challenged in a very serious way because we, we protect by one of our sicknesses, to, and, I, I want, and that's the point I want to stress. The reason why I started the, the, the training with Jim Dunn is because racism has created a pathology in us, the internalized oppression. And it plays out in many ways for people of color. You know, it, 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 one of the things where it plays out, it, we protect white people. You know, we can talk about them, but we protect them too. Colorism is another one, the light skin and dark skin. That's an issue that goes on in our families. They have kept us divided. Another one is something called exaggerated visibility. As a black people, we, we've been invisibilized, so we got to exaggerate our visibility. I don't care if you're professional or you're out in the streets. There's ethnocentrism. All these manifestations of a, is our pathology. So I don't care if you work in the media, work in housing. I don't care what issue you work on. If that issue you work on does not get get that toxicity out of you, then you just have another program, got another grant, and all it's going to do further program you because any program you develop with money is supposed to wake our community up. And if it doesn't, you're adding to the putting us back to sleep. Secondly is that when you came to the workshop, we didn't give you nothing just to trade that you have not lived all your life. All we did what we call a Socratic approach. We pull out your experience that you live, and when it ain't right, you gonna let us know. It's like you shaking your head now. Mm-hmm. When you come to the workshop, you're trying to see what we're gonna do. And when you hear it, your head, your head <laughs> shaking like this, because you know what we're talking about. We just been able to take your experience and put it in chronological order. That's all we've been right. doing. Now, a lot of times for black folks, it takes us longer to shake our head because the dominant white culture is in our neck. So that's why it takes three days to get that shit out of you. Yes. That's why it's a process. And we don't know it. You got black people feeling off, shaking the head like this in a workshop. We know that, and they don't know what's going on, but the dominant white culture ain't got to be in your group. It already dictates what we do. You can have a black group, but still dictate a white agenda. And we're very clear on that. So that's what we try to do in a workshop. That's part of bringing the humanity back, you know, right now. And we want people to become good, effective organizers. And when they and, and they gotta understand something about grants. Everybody got more nonprofits in this town anyway. Well, I think <laughs> I just left Minneapolis two weeks ago mm-hmm. where the George Floyd Square. We've been working there for over 30 some years. And the community came together and told the county, the government, that what we want y'all to do 
is to make sure that the city develops a contract to train enabled organizations in here. That was a demand from the community because of the killing of George Floyd. So now we're going up there, we're gonna spend a year working with enabled organization in that particular area where George Floyd was killed, was killed. And we're excited about that. We also wanna work with some young black men up there uh, who've been incarcerated. Cause many black groups led are getting money, but, it, but you ain't got no solid black men united front. Uh, but every group, because everybody say mean led by a black group, uh, you have to look at that very seriously because you can have one or two black folks, but it's not who run a nonprofit. But it's, it ain't really a community organization. It says that, but it's really it's, it's really a clickism mm -hmm. going on. And not only that, when you work, when you run a nonprofit, and when you run a nonprofit, if you if you listen to the history of it, 1954 when it started, when government and foundations came together. Because there was such organizing, good organizing going on, they say we got to slow that roll up. Let's give let's give them a five hundred one c three, and all the activists got deactivated mm. over the period of time, and that's happening right now. And we don't even see that going on. Because once you get to be, once you get that nonprofit, and everybody wants some money. Everybody wants to get a get the grant, and the white groups that get the grants, it's a shame. We got to go through all that process to getting grant money, which is our money. We got to file to put a proposal together and then they want to know if they give you the money, they want to evaluate. How they can evaluate you don't even know the value of you. So we have a real difficult time. Most of our money is fee for service. Uh, not that we wouldn't take grant money could be better understanding, but anybody getting grant money and who don't understand racism, how probably they're being manipulated. I don't care if they're black run or this run or whatever run. That's just what it is. Because if you don't have, if, if cause most nonprofit ain't got no strong communities, Constituency. Mm -hmm. They got a nonprofit and all they're doing is keeping money to keep the infrastructure going, not to do the work in the community. An organization is only a vehicle to get your work done. You ain't put it there for life. That's all it is. And that's to develop people and wake them up. And when you mess up, they keep you in check. <clears throat> wow. That's the purpose of the undoing. But people here undoing racism, it's about organizing in a humanistic way and really making sure you lift your community up and wake them up. If, if your program don't do that, then you further programming people. That's how we look at it. Wow. Oh, my goodness. This is uh, we're, we're going to continue this amazing yeah. discussion after this short break. Of course, we are going a little bit longer today because I am allowing all of this brilliance to hit all of us. You guys don't want to miss the second part of this amazing discussion. Stay tuned. You're watching The Day with Trey. Get it again. Another year at Seattle's iconic Paramount Theater is in the books. A true experience that will live with us forever. We want to say thank Thank you to all of our amazing guests for taking the time to join us, share your stories, and be vulnerable. We want to say thank you, our amazing fans and supporters who joined us live in the theater and watched the broadcast online. A huge thank you to the Seattle Theater Group for your years of partnership that continue to grow stronger and your intentionality to uplift Black voices in our community. And last but absolutely not least, Thank you to Converge Media's official production partner from day one, the Elite Collective, whose team of producers, directors, and camera operators once again created TV magic. Until next time, keep it locked right here to Converge Media as we continue to uplift Black voices in our community and beyond. If you have an event coming up, tap in with the Elite Collective for all of your event production needs. And of course, always remember, 
Black Media Matters. COVID-19 hurt my income, my health, and my family. We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME and a housing counselor stepped in, talked to our lender, and saved our home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHalf.org. That's WashingtonHAF.org. Welcome back, everybody, to The Day with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, and I am sitting with the incomparable Baba Ron. Oh, my goodness. This has been such an amazing discussion. I really appreciate you for bringing that into the work that we're doing here at Converge, because I think, you know, for, for us, we're like, look, we got to uplift stories. But to, to uh, understand us as organizers and waking people up, for me, my entire goal of doing this line of work is to create impact media that does just that. And every day I encourage people to be inspired by my guests so they can see themselves as a part of the solution. The more of us that are pouring into that, the more we're actually creating the world we want to see and doing that work collectively of the awakening. So I just really appreciate you for seeing it as that. And it means the world coming from you who have dedicated your entire life to this work. Uh, when you think about uh, some of those highlights, as you talk about being international national and people, you know, coming and connecting with People's Institute uh, for this work. Tell us about some of those major highlights for you throughout your line of this work, uh, you know, doing it for so many years and being in so many different places. You're hitting a lot of different people and a lot of different perspectives. And I can only imagine that that waking up piece, you guys have probably heard so many testimonials from people who have had that experience. Tell us a bit about that. We've met with young people. We went to South, went to Soweto, and 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 uh, we do the training out there in Soweto, you know. And it relates the same way. I mean, it, they they can relate to it. And I thought it was going to be a lang a language dynamics. I went, to, you know, but they can connect with it. You know, you know, she is the key. What I believe is that what I've learned, and I'm always learning. I'm I'm up in age, but I keep learning that. Every organization that I've worked with, and, and I come out the nonprofit world, so I've, I've seen it, and we're a nonprofit too. Everybody always talk about empowering people. Well, you don't empower someone if, if you have not done a power analysis. Most organizations operate out of a needs analysis, a victim analysis, a do-good analysis, a paternalistic analysis, or something called a white man's burden analysis, which means we got to take in them folks because they really can't take in themselves. So when you're talking about empowering people, we really got to understand what, what empowerment means. People have needs because of the power. So most programs are geared to fix people's behavior. That's just, you know, but yet when you listen at, look at the mission statement, they got, we're going to empower the community. Well, first of all, you can't do that. You can help the community get a sense of its power because the community is already powerful. But because of years of oppression, it looks powerless. So when you work on an issue, I don't care if it's the media, housing, health, the issue is supposed to help people get a sense of their power. And you get a sense of your power through a process. It's a process. You don't walk with somebody who's not empower you. That don't work like that. 
you help somebody go two steps because it took years to disempower us. So most people, most nonprofits, that they all got that statement on their mission, but they're operating out of a needs analysis. And the power creates a need. So because if you're only working on programs to fix people, you're saying that people are broke. But the people ain't broke, the system is broke. But ain't nobody got no program to fix the system. Matter of fact, you know you better not do that. They ain't gonna let you fix them. <laughs> right. But if we keep spending every program to fix the people, what you're doing, you're fixing people's behavior. And what you're saying, that people, you're telling the people something wrong with you. And nothing wrong with our community. They just got a need. Mm. And because what the white dominant culture has done, it don't only create, because every system in the United States, everyone is controlled by the dominant culture, everyone. And in the United States, every system is controlled by the white dominant culture, period. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you find every, every, you know, and what the dominant culture has done, it has created a pathology. It has told inside the black, inside the black woman, a black woman having a baby, the system treat the black mother in a respectful way from health, from every level, and the baby inside can feel a disrespect to the mama. Mm. I can't tell you the chemicals and all that, but because of generation and generation, how black women have been treated and women of color been treated. And it gives, and when the child comes here on this world, the system already starts setting them up as being inferior. And that's why we have to really, really be careful when we write grants and using the word I work with minorities at risk and I'm working with the marginalized. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can create your reality. Mm -hmm. So if you keep calling somebody, you know, you're, you're the minority media, that means you're less than media. Mm -hmm. So linguistic racism may, helps to keep systemic racism in place. What keeps structures in place, system in place, is different forms of racism, linguistic, environmental racism, cultural racism, institutional racism, all these forms of racism. And we don't know what we're doing it. We're trying to play with words. But words can kill us. So when a black mother has a child, the mother is being disrespected, being disrespected, and then all these things play out. And then for a white person, inside them, baby, mama, inside the, the mother wound, a white child, mothers treated family much better. When that baby come out, they already think that they're better. They're feeling superior. And they'll tell you right now, they'll say, I'm, say uh, I might be poor, at least I'm not black. Mm. That's why you don't see that kind of, that's why it's more than class. So I, I just think that I've seen people grow, develop. I meet people in the street all the time. They walk with me and say, Brother Chisholm, I just went to the Undoing Racism Training. You ought to go check it out. <laughs> So when I hear that, I know it's out there. And we got, I ain't, whether we got an office, an organization or not, the work gonna get carried on because organizations uh, are structures only a place to get your work done. It ain't gotta be there for life. Mm. If you're doing good leadership development, you know, it's a beautiful thing, you know. And uh, so uh, the community gives me hope. And I see people right now, they, they, they're aware, I see families. Uh, I see a lot of good things going on in, in different cities like Seattle, like New York. New York was one of the hardest places to bring this training in New York because a lot of people think they know everything in New York, and I'm generalizing that. <laughs> but now we do more work in New York anyway. Mm. I mean, we, I mean, I mean, from Albany to Harlem to the Bronx, you know, 
I mean, work at Columbia University at Fordham. I mean, we work with nonprofits, work with church groups. Uh, we were doing work in the George Floyd area, which we honor to do that right now. And for the community to make a demand that they want us to train the people there. Now we've got a contract to work with there. We're just so honored to be able to spend time, you know, but this work was for everybody, you know, and young people got to be integrally involved, not talking, and they got to be, they got to be involved every step of the way. And we have young trainers right now can facilitate a whole workshop. Mm. You know, we have white trainers, black, Latino, Asian, Native American. We got, we got folks from, uh, from uh, Spokane, uh, we got Native Americans, you know, from from uh, uh, Anishinaabe, you know, from uh, Whitewood Reservation. We got we got all kinds of people right now, and uh, who are organizers. And I want to make you say this is about organizing, and and you bring hope. And you know, to me, when y'all do this work, when y'all say you know the black you know, uh, media matters, and people and you talk to people you know who are listening us are seeing it. I think you're getting people in touch. The way you present, you're getting people in touch with their humanity because the people that are listening have been dehumanized too. So if the information you put in their head gives them some kick their humanity in, that's, that's see, remember, racism dehumanizes. So, so you're going, you're not just giving a word out there. You're not just communicating. You're waking up, and when you say wake somebody up, you're bringing humanity in the people that who are looking who have been dehumanized. Racially dehumanize everybody. So that's what's key about it, why people embrace it. That's why people embrace it. Even people who give you the dog on the wall, they felt it because some of your, their humanity kicked in. Mm. With this actor who did this thing, uh, I don't know if you remember the, the actor that came to our training. Uh, um, he to playing a thing called a joker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well he, well, he came to the workshop. Wow. And he, when he got his, his Emmy, mm-hmm. He told the folks about he got one. He got one in London. And he got one here, and he told them about systemic racism. And he'd been to the training, and he spoke so strongly about what the trainers done for him. You know, we've done work with the Whole Food Company. The Whole Food got a healthy food, not necessarily healthy mind. Mm-hmm. Worked them, worked with them for three years, and 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 then Amazon took over, and we haven't heard from them yet. Mm-hmm. So, I just think the work that you're doing, Sister Tree, is is you're bringing humanity back to people. So it's not just them listening, viewing your work and they like your, your, your good technical work. You're bringing humanity to your technology. And because when I look at that screen this morning, I know, uh, brother, I really didn't know the brother. I, I've heard of the brother. I could feel it. And the way those people, I didn't know who did what, but mm-hmm. I, what I saw in there, man, I, I, I didn't know, you know, totally what I was coming to, but I could feel it. Through the screen, yeah, and, you know, not only people are crying in a, in a, in an audience, but I'm saying there's something about you know, and you really got to examine that, and everybody on your team got to know what that means. Y'all bringing humanity by way of the media, we're black. It ain't just blame. You're bringing an anti-racist approach, which means you bring humanity, and people listening can feel it. That's wow. that's the difference I believe. Then just saying a black thing, a black thing, because everybody using those terms for all the right reasons. Wow. Baba, Ron, I thank you so much. This has just been the most enlightening discussion and interview for for me. It's so powerful uh, to really connect with you and your legacy, what you've done, what you continue to do out here across the world. Thank you for giving to all of us. Yeah. 
Oh, there you I go. wasn't sure where I was. Yeah, uh, Brother Kenty and uh, Nicole told me I was coming, you know, and uh, but to be here, it, it feels good. And when you feel good, you want to talk. And uh, I got excited about it, you know, because because uh, we need each other in this work, you know, right now. We, we, we got to hit them, hit them at, every, at every level. And you being in part of the training, you got a sense of what we what we do and we really teach and organizing, yeah. you know, and you're already doing it. And hopefully this will strengthen your work in a humanistic way. And we need, we need, we really need this here. And y'all got a, 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 a real good secret that the world got to know about. <laughs> yeah. You know, and not just the one give you that, that Emmy and all that stuff. That is good that, that, but the community ought to be given one generally, but they need to know, the level of what you what you're doing, and I know y'all get the word out, mm -hmm. but sometimes we don't always understand. We just think it's just another media thing. But it's to me, y'all got something more going on. And I'm glad I came. I'm glad. Again, you never know all it, totally what you're coming to, but I'm glad I I got here and, and want to be invited back too. You're invited anytime. This okay. is your okay. home. Anytime you're okay. in town, they will let me know. The family will make sure that okay. we bring you back because we have so much more to discuss. But I want to give you a second to make sure folks know how to connect with the People's Institute. Maybe they, this is their first time hearing about the Undoing Institutionalized Racism training. Maybe they have a group or a, a corporation or somebody that needs this training. I want to make sure you can look right there in the camera closest to me and let them know how to connect with the People's Institute? Well, I'm going to ask my colleagues give, give the the websites who's working with me right now to get the recs up. But if you're interested in really being a, uh, exposed to the training is that um, we located in our bases in New Orleans, Louisiana, but we have an uh, office up here in Seattle and Brother Kente, uh, Sister Mary Flowers. Uh, and we also have an, uh, an office in, in Atlanta and Sister Nicole can let people know about that. But if you're really trying to work with your your organization, your church group, your community group, your coalition, you know, because many people have coalitions, but don't know how to coalesce with each other. And if you got a coalition or any kind of a network, and it, we would suggest that you come to the Undoing Racism Train because we don't care any kind of movement you. If you do make it, if you're trying to make any real changes, we're telling you right now. All of the isms getting away. We don't care if it's sexism, classism, you know, all of them getting away. But you got to understand racism, and we we would, you know we can give some assistance in helping you to really look at that because the undoing racism. We don't we, we don't we're not getting mad at nobody else out there. We got to get our lens so much clearer. Do what we're doing. We I say we base in New Orleans and. Um, can they, can we get the website? Uh, you, can you, you, the website? They'll, they'll give it to you. They'll give the, the what? peaceab.org. P-I-S-A-B.org. P-I-S-A-B.org. There we go. That's good. Make sure you guys tune in. And uh, Baba Ron, thank you so much again for everything, thank for you. pouring into all of yeah. us. I am just so honored. And thank you so much for shedding light. Uh, Curtis, you heard him. We're organizers, bro. We're that's what we're out here doing. Straight, uh, straight, straight up. Yeah, thank straight you. Up. So that thank means you. the world. 
Thank you. Oh my goodness, you guys, I get to wrap up this phenomenal episode right after this short break. I'm trying to keep it together, y'all, because that was just beautiful. You guys stay tuned right after this. You're watching The Day with Trey. Welcome back, everybody, to The Day with Trey. I cannot thank my guest, Baba Ron Chisholm, enough for being here, you know, giving us some real history, deep history on the the beginnings and the origin of the People's Institute, but also how their work has permeated the world. And y'all know, for me, it was beyond inspiring to just sit here and hear the wisdom of all of his years of pouring into community, of working alongside communities to really develop organizers out there. We need more of y'all. So you guys know, I'm going to tell you right now to be inspired to see yourself as a part of the solution. As he said, he came from a nonprofit background and just realized as much work as they were doing in the community, there was always something that was coming into it to disorganize everything that they were doing. So he's really, really worked hard alongside so many amazing organizers. Y'all heard him say, Brother Kente Perry, he is doing it big. Sister Mary Flowers, two of our pillars in our community here. But there are so many all across the world who understand the value, not only of the training, but of the transition in mindset, the awakening of their own understanding so that they can be in their communities in a deeper way. I really hope that all of y'all were inspired inspired by this to see yourself as a part of the solution. I can't thank him enough. I've been changed by this interview right here and I can't wait to have him back again. I want to thank you guys for joining me today. I so appreciate y'all watching and pouring into this platform and y'all heard it from Baba Ron himself. We are organizing here. We are doing the work by elevating our stories and being the way that we are unapologetically. I thank all of you guys for supporting us, for loving on us, for giving us all of the energy that we need to continue doing our organizing work right here at Converge Media and for me on the day with Trey. Y'all know y'all see me tomorrow and until then at 11 a.m. Peace. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.